Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Are These Books Drunk? And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. Woo! Yeah. This month, we're reading an incredibly beautiful yet heart-wrenching novel, oh. Infinite Country by Patricia Engel. Thank you, Patricia, for opening the doors to the realistic world many Colombians have endured and continue to do so. Mm. Your yeah. vivid writing has given us the liberties to discuss many crucial topics. Last week, we spoke about what we each would do if we were in Elena's shoes. Instances when we have been overcome by our rage, our hot-button issues, and undocumented versus illegal immigrants. Though this episode will air a few days from now, I want to acknowledge that we are presently approaching this country's day of independence. Mm. And my anniversary of when my parents and I came to this country as a family. When I was two. So let's celebrate with a few cocktails, mocktails, shall we? Yeah. (laughs) What are you mujeres tomando, tia Emma? Uh, What are we drinking? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You nailed it. My Spanish is going to get so much better from this (laughs) After this. (laughs) With you. Well, I'm so glad you asked because today we get to sip on another Ricardo original. Yeah. Love it. Today's cocktail pairing is called Perla's Potion. Oh, Oh, I love that. Yeah. She's like a delightful twist on a mojito, but with tequila. Why not? Why not? Why not? <laughs> I'll leave the recipe sharing up to our bartender here. But first, Mummy Mariana, what mocktail will you be slinging back today? Ooh. Chicas, I'll be drinking Perla's potion with you. Wait. What? what? Wait. I know. Okay, wait. The only difference is that instead of tequila, I'll be drinking a delicious tequila alternative. Oh. Yes. Ritual Zero Proof Tequila. Which was introduced to me by Emma. Aww. Yeah, tell us about Ritual. Fun fact, it is the highest rated non-alcoholic spirit in the world. Whoa. Okay, and it's not only alcohol-free, but it's calorie-free, too. Okay, talk to me. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're not a tequila connoisseur like me, as we all know, they Mm. also offer gin, whiskey, and now rum alternatives. Wow. Awesome. So if you two are interested, and if our listeners are interested, which they probably will be, go to RitualZeroProof.com and get yourself one of those (laughs) alcoholic alternatives today. Yeah, I'm on my way. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. great. Oh, I'm so glad that you get to drink the same drink that we are, but with a a non-alcoholic version. Like, that's so fun. Well, let's not delay your favorite person any longer, because we all know it's not the three of us. (laughs) Here to share the recipe for Perla's Potion is our potent bartender, Ricardo. Ricardo, Ricardo. Yeah, come on down, hottie. Hello, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hola. Hi. How are you? So good. Great. 
radio this, in this rainy day, this terrible oh my God, rainy I day. Know. But at least it's not hot like it was the last couple yeah. of days. The heat exactly. was too it's much. It's Unbearable. True. Yeah. It's true. It's very humid. Yes. Yeah. Almost like being like, you know, in Colombia. <laughs> oh. <laughs> or that in Cartagena or something. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so today's cocktail is called Perla's Potion. Yes. And uh, in the same way that we did a twist for last week's cocktail, we're going to mm-hmm. do a twist even this week. And it's uh, a twist on a mojito. Oh. So we're going to change the ingredients. For this cocktail, we're gonna need two ounces of tequila, one ounce of simple syrup, one ounce of lemon juice, uh, a dash of Angostura bitter, a strawberry, and few mint leaves. So for this cocktail, because we are trying, we are doing a twist on a mojito, we are gonna muddle together the strawberry, the mint leaves, I would go for five, six mint leaves, uh, and when we muddle anything in the shaker, do it with uh, a little bit of liquid. So in this case, um. we're going to put the simple syrup and the lemon juice. Mm. Uh, bec- uh, there's a, because we have two very different things in, uh, in the shaker, don't muddle too much. So the strawberry should be very muddled and the mint should be lightly muddled. Uh-huh. So let's try to go in between. Okay. Because we want to break actually the mint leaves so we, it's not the entire leaf that is staying uh, together. Right. Uh, but we want to break a little bit the, the body of the strawberry. Mm. So once you muddled, you add the, the tequila, the Angostura bitter, and the ice. We shake and we don't strain this cocktail. So we pour wow. it directly with no strainer into the glass so we can see the impurity <laughs> so the mint leaves and, and the strawberries uh, and finally for you brandy we can drink it with a straw yes! <laughs> you're not breaking the rules today uh, and this is perla's potion love it if you want to do another small twist uh, like i i did uh, i love instead of simple syrup use sugar Mm. If, oh. you, if you use directly sugar because we drink it with a straw just put the sugar as a first ingredient in the glass before that you oh. put anything else so every time that you sip with the straw you're gonna get a little bit of sugar and the cocktail wow. is gonna finish in a blink of an eye I always say that the really good mojitos is when they do it with sugar just like that that's like your quintessential mojito yeah instead but of how much syrup. sugar do you do? I did a teaspoon okay okay Uh, if you have raw cane sugar it's even better so we stay Uh. uh, with uh, we stick with the mojito recipe but if you have white sugar it's fine oh my gosh this is a beautiful cocktail I'm loving it thank you for this Ricardo of course alla vostra salute ladies gracias ciao bye bye All right, women. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, this is so exciting. Beautiful color. I know. Mm. The Mm. strawberry got stuck Mm. in my straw. I can't taste it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, it is so good. 
Ladies, this is divine. Is it? I love it. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm really drinking with you. I love it. I know it does feel like we're having like a cocktail together. (laughs) And it looks exactly the same as yours. Yeah, Yeah. it's beautiful. Does it taste like tequila? Like, do you do you taste the tequila alternative? I do. And there's because Brandy had asked me before we started recording this episode if there was like that smokiness or that spiciness to the the aftertaste of the tequila itself. And there is like in the back of the chode, I can feel that that spice that makes tequila special. So yeah, I'm drinking ladies. I love it. You know, I love my tequila, but I'm down to try a calorie free tequila alternative. You think? Get me a bottle. You think? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) <laughs> Especially for the summer months, if you want to try something fresh, something different. Yeah, exactly. Without getting dehydrated mm-hmm. and stuff, it's nice. Mm. Yeah. I love that so much. And I have to say, Ricardo is knocking him out of the park because this is another Ricardo original that I'm like, is this my favorite that he's done? <laughs> it's a strong contender. He did it for again. My favorite Ricardo cocktail. Wow. It's so good. He's on yeah. a drank streak. He the, is. The strawberry and the mint is. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. It's, and it's got that lemon and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. it. All right. Are we ready to talk <laughs> about this book? <sighs> yes, please. Yeah. I'm a little scared to talk about this week, but okay. Here we go. <laughs> this week, Dalia hitches a ride on the back of a motorcycle with a young man named Andres, or Aguja, to his mm. friends who, as his nickname would suggest, isn't altogether friendly, though he assures her he's not a pervert like the Frenchman. Mauro is deported back to Colombia, where he wastes away years drinking, thinking of his family and constantly checking in on his beloved Talia, who has been returned to be raised by her grandmother. Elena, meanwhile, tries to keep what remains of her family intact, working to ensure that they are offered the opportunities this country can provide. Though as time passes, she wonders at the illusion of the American dream and American exceptionalism, Mm. and at the cruel reality that though she had wanted them to return to Colombia and Mauro had wanted them to stay in America, she had never considered that he would be forced to return home there (laughs) while she would choose to stay here, that they might be splintered across two continents, forced to live separately until who knows when. Oh, wow. my God. Oh, my oh. God is right. These chapters were hard. <sighs> yeah. They were so hard. But what was so great about them is that so many answers were already, so many questions were already answered. Mm. Which was, right, like how Talia ended up back home. Yeah. Right. And who was right, right about that hypothesis? Um, Brandy, you nailed it. Mm-hmm. Redeeming myself. Redeeming myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and also about uh, Mauro's drinking. Hmm. Yeah. Which I was surprised when he mentioned to uh, the person from the addiction, like the addiction specialist, when he Mm -hmm. said that the reason why he was drinking is to feel closer to her and to feel loved by her. But he wasn't talking about Elena. He was talking about Karina, his mother, who abandoned him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think just another reminder that alcoholism is such a and I guess you know here we go like I was kind of nervous when we were going to bring this up because half of our podcast is about drinking right Right. but we are confronted with a character who is suffering from alcoholism which is a disease Mm -hmm. 
and has torn apart so many marriages yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and relationships. And mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And I've seen that firsthand. But mm-hmm. it is – this is um, a reminder that for – I don't want to say so many because I guess maybe – anyone who suffers from this it stems from something so much deeper like there's a reason for it and it's to numb something else and so while it is um you know here i go again trying to take something that 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 is a big problem and not something to be talked about lightly but to take it back to finding some sort of empathy or compassion for where it comes from the root of Mm -hmm. it all Mm -hmm. yeah because it did break my heart seeing the struggle as soon as he come came back to Colombia, finding out that his best friend had been murdered, right, and then just having to sleep on the streets, not being able to see Talia, oh, his man. daughter, grow up, and you know being rejected constantly yeah. by Perla. It, it, All the meanwhile, like still that. missing his wife, who he didn't choose right. to leave, right, right, and his two other children. Oh yeah, oh, and his two kids. That relationship really tore me apart this week. Like, yeah, it's hard to see them go from such a connection and such love and such hope, I think, mm-hmm. too, to this. They've lost everything. Everything. I wanted to ask you, too, we get some small clue from Perla this week that there was a bad spirit in her home that was yeah. possibly, it seemed like, attached to Talia as a little girl. There was a hint that it might possibly have been the ill will of someone else. I wondered if it could be a symbol for Mauro's alcoholism, Mm. like that somehow he's poisoning his daughter's, you know, future or something. What, if anything, did you ladies make of that? Did you feel it was attached to the alcoholism? Is it something else entirely? Yeah, there there was a moment that um, something was mentioned in in the effect of that either it was a disease or it was stemming from guilt. Mm-hmm. And I I also wondered whether it was Mauro's guilt of, of not being oh. able to do what he thought he would do or achieve going to the States right. and being able to fulfill, yes, part of it was the American dream, but also the land of opportunity was a huge right. motivation for them. And he's kind of the one who implanted it in Amelia. In, exactly. Yeah, and, that's a good point. In Elena. In Elena. Elena. Oh my God, I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. He was like, wait mm. a second, no. Yeah, in Elena. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point, Mariana. That had not occurred to me, the thing about the disease and how he's kind of the one who has, I mean, I hate to say it again, because I do think a dream is so necessary, but he is the one who brought that dream into her heart They're without right. him saying it. They, they would have stayed in Colombia. Mm-hmm. She was not going to leave her mother. Mm-mm. Yeah. But she's the one that asked to go with him. That's true because she didn't want to be separated. They had a baby. Yeah. But, I mean, he was going to go by himself and then she was like, take us with you. Though in these chapters, there was a mention of her never wanting her children to ever leave her behind. I, Yep. So there's there's a part of her that there's a lot of guilt coming from her leaving Perla behind. And she oh, hopes sure, and wishes yeah. that in the future, her kids don't do the same thing to her. Right. I made a note of that quote as well. And I thought it was so tragic because 
Of course, while she doesn't want to be left behind by her kids, it's also what she's working so hard for. Exactly. For her kids to have a better life here in the United States. Right. And unfortunately, at this point, Elena's not ever going to be legal here. She's overstayed her visa. Mm-hmm. Like her, I feel like she's inevitably going to be hiding forever or she's going to have to go back. But she's now sort of pitted herself against herself in a way where she wants so badly to be with her family. And yet half of her family is in another country. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that gap can ever be bridged now because she's got one child. Well, she's got two children who are American citizens, one of whom is in Colombia mm-hmm. and being raised in Colombia. Mm-hmm. The other of whom is here. She's got one child who is undocumented, but has only ever been raised in America, which blows my mind that if she got deported, she would be deported to a country she has no knowledge of whatsoever. Whatsoever. That Mm -hmm. is wild to me. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're following Talia, who is Colombian, but is actually an American citizen and who now won't be able to go back to Colombia if she makes it to America because she's an escapee. Mm hmm. So it's such a complicated situation. And the sad thing is that they wanted so badly to do something so good for their family. And now they've ended up they've ended up splintered in a way that I don't think can be fixed ever. Mm. I don't think they're ever going to be able to live together as a whole family. That's so sad. It is so it's sad. It's so sad. And each of them are going to have different perspectives or different experiences, even though they're kind of experiencing something similarly, but all of them are going to have to deal with it in a different way. Yeah. And they, I don't know how can they can necessarily rely on each other to be able to fully cope with what's happening. They're all in such different positions Mm -hmm. and in such different circumstances, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. And do you think, I wonder if Talia weren't in the position that she were in, where now she needs to flee the country because she fled the prison, if eventually Elena would take her two kids and go back home to be back in her country and to be reunited with her husband. But now, you know, if they went there and then Talia's there, I mean, like you said, how can they all be together? But I wonder, I wonder if, if that, if this storyline with Talia were not happening, if eventually they would go back home to Colombia. I don't know, because it seems to me the further involved Elena is in what the in the world that she's facing, the more and more I, I find her being more afraid of ever going back. Like I feel mm. that there's there's a part of her and she's now with those two friends towards the tail end of the novel. Right. At yeah. the tail end of these sections of the novel mm-hmm. where they're both telling her that she can't say certain things. I don't know if we want to talk right. about what happens, the rape, I guess we yeah. should right now, what happens to her at the end of these sections. Mm, yeah. That she thinks by staying, it's she's doing what's best for her children. And yes, she miss, misses Mauro, but they're, they're, the distance is growing. Yeah, And I don't know if that distance could be remedied by just picking up and going back to a country where things are still happening. Well, and also Elena is maybe going to marry someone else. She probably and it she doesn't, might. Yeah. And she doesn't seem she to have the same connection to Mauro that Mauro does to her. So, yeah, I guess you're right. That's 
Well, I think we got a really interesting insight to her in these chapters because we get these amazing dreams. We get amazing insight into Mm -hmm. these dreams that she's having. Mm -hmm. There's the one with Mauro holding Talia away from her and her fearing that he's going to drop her. Mm -hmm. Another one where Elena's both trying to help a trapped and sinking Omira Sanchez and then sometimes she's becoming Omira herself. Right. Realizing mm. that though she's trying to pull herself out of the mud, she's never going to survive with the part that's below. And I thought that's a symbol for her homeland. You know what I mean? I feel like she's trying so hard to escape the circumstances she's been given and yet she knows that she can't survive without her roots. She can't survive. Mm-hmm. She can't survive without that part of herself And that part is being held down by her history. Like, you know, with Omira, it's it's a horrifically tragic story, but her aunt was holding on to her, Mm -hmm. which is part of the reason why she couldn't, you know, they couldn't escape or, you know, they couldn't get her out. And so I thought that was a really interesting um, parallel with Mm -hmm. Elena's situation where she's trying so hard to leave her past behind But those roots are just holding on to her so tight. And if you also look at the symbolism of what that original story meant with Omira, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. that many said that she was an angel or a prophet sent to remind them of the ways that they commit treason against their country Mm -hmm. and one another. It's like she deep down feels like she is committed treason yeah. by leaving her country and by probably leaving. her mom mm-hmm. yeah so it's just like Absolutely. this constant reminder that she's not totally. supposed to be where she mm-hmm. is which is so terrible but i did find it interesting that by the end of this little dream you know sequence that we get she's no longer omira and she's no longer the person trying to pull omira out she then becomes mm. the bird that's floating above the whole situation mm-hmm. seeing the whole everything. thing from a distance mm-hmm. and i thought This is her completely fully detaching. Mm -hmm. She's no longer looking at her singular experience. She's trying to look at the big picture and she's just she's just pulling herself out of her body to cope so that she can get by and deal with Mm -hmm. probably the most difficult thing she's had to deal with so far, which is her husband getting deported. And now she's in a foreign country with two children, Mm -hmm. three children, I guess, at this point by herself. I love that you say that, Brandy, because that's exactly how I read this. There was a part, she was taking her, herself aside, putting herself Mm -hmm. aside. And it was Mm -hmm. really like, you could really sense that all of this was for her family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That there was nothing else. Completely selfless. Yeah. And there was nothing that was going to get in her way because all she wanted was to help her kids and, and eventually help her husband through everything that they've been right she's still sending money home to to her mom and she she sets money specifically aside for him she Mm. worked at that restaurant for a month without getting paid right yeah because she believed for that to be true that that's what she needed how she needed to show that she and unfortunately she has no recourse even if she had known that was bullshit yeah you can't can't, can't say anything. anything what's she gonna do the same situation she finds herself in in that terrible that's why that asshole chose her. Mm-hmm. Her rape was disturbing to me for so many reasons. <laughs> I And I'm really sad to say that I'm sure all three of us, like I saw, I knew there was going to be some sort of 
sexual violence aimed at one of the women in this story, just because so many of them are in such vulnerable positions. So in some ways, I felt I felt it coming. But it happens for us in the same way that it happens for her. It's such a flurry of prose. It's such a fast event. I think it takes up like two paragraphs in the book. And it's she's made to feel so inconsequential about it. It's treated very inconsequentially in the storytelling in that it happens so fast. And yet it's going to leave this horrific scar on her. And it once again brought me back to that line about trauma and how when it's common it can't be traumatizing and Mm -hmm. i was reading these chapters as the news dropped yesterday about bill cosby being released yes and i just i felt so deeply what's being explored in this book which was these sort of contradictions that we have in our society especially about how safe we are or you know, how exceptional we are as a country when actually we've got some real big freaking problems. And <sighs> Huge. sometimes it feels like we're just asleep through them or something. Mm-hmm. Like, how does somebody who has been accused of raping 70 women just go free? Mm-hmm. How does that happen? And yet it does. How does this happen to, you know, to a woman at work by her boss? And yet, like, it just does. And she's just going to keep going to work like she just has to keep going she to has no choice family she yeah. has no choice because if she if she speaks up she will get deported right that's it and, Plain and, and simple. deported without her children mm-hmm. yeah which is the worst which out of all worst. of it mm-hmm. yeah well you brought up the word choices so i want to ask you both a question that that whole idea of choices was so apparent to me in this week's mm. chapters. Yeah. Last week's as well. Uh, yeah. Just how hard they are to make and how much harder they are when you feel like you don't have one, but you're forced into something <laughs> mm-hmm. not by choice. And I'm sure both of you in your 30 plus years on this <laughs> earth, you've been faced with really difficult choices that you've mm-hmm. had to make. So I was wondering if if you could talk about one that was maybe especially difficult for you and share how you came to make the choice that you did. Wow. And is, do you regret that choice? Oh, Emma. Sorry, take, take a sip. <laughs> take a oh, sip of your perilous potion. <laughs> Salud. <laughs> oh. These chapters were not easy. My question is not going to be easy. No, no, no. Oh, damn. No, no, okay. No. All right. Well, Sorry. Yeah, there definitely have been a few throughout my life, a few mm-hmm. moments of having to make those difficult yeah. choices. Um, and I think it all has to do with me living... <laughs> The roller coaster trajectory that my life has made me ride, because <laughs> yeah. I think that's definitely. I mean, we all have, we all have the a a journey, um, right? I guess. Firstly, I I have a very difficult time making choices in general, and I agonize until I'm blue in the face to Aww. actually figure out, you know, if I'm making the quote unquote right choice. Right. (laughs) But I can say without a doubt, and I'm proud of the, of the choice I ended up making when I decided to stop dancing or pursuing dance. Mm. 
And knowing that I was enforced into that choice, that it was actually, yeah. I f- it took me many years to then figure out that that was no longer a sane thing to do. It was no longer Aww. a physically um, good thing to do. It was just something that I needed. I needed to figure it out for myself. It mm-hmm. just took me many years to get to that place. Yeah. I don't think you. I've ever told you ladies this story, but the day that I decided, it ended up happening that I had been asked to come in. I had been given an appointment by my agents that are currently my agents now, but it was the first appointment I had gotten through them. When I had mentioned to them that I was like done pursuing concert dance, but I was still willing to do maybe, depending on the Broadway show, depending on the material, I might be able to audition for something mm-hmm. or commercial dance. So I ended up getting a call, an appointment for Avita, And Avita um. is... V- is an incredible show. It's one of my favorites, but it also, the dancing is very technical, but it's tango. So mm. that there's certain things um. that I wouldn't have to be as acrobatic as other right. body shows oh. are. So I went into it being like, well, I've continued taking, taking classes. I still feel like Bambi every now and again when I walk into the <laughs> dance studio because I'm still like figuring my things out. But mentally, I wasn't fully prepared because the fear was still in me that my injuries could potentially happen again. And I remember being at that audition and enjoying the fact that I was there. But then my heart Hmm. was not there anymore. It was not worth (sighs) the agony that I was going to put my body through Mm -hmm. during and afterwards. Having to show these skills that, yes, I could still do, but required so much more effort, both physically and mentally, that I was like, why, why, why am I doing this anymore? Why Mm. is this because I want to just prove everybody wrong that after so many surgeries and that I'm now at a stage where I'm considered to be an older dancer, that I could still get this done, that I could still prove it to myself, that I could still do it? Mm -hmm. Or was it really just the time for me to kind of let it go that it was a stage Mm. in my life it happened I did everything I could possibly do with it and now it was time to move on Mm. and right after the audition I ended up sitting at a Mexican restaurant like right in midtown outside and I just started bawling and it was like the most cathartic thing to go through because I was just like letting it go I was like I did it I went back I auditioned but it was time to just Say goodbye. Stop. And then the first production that I did after that audition was the Church of Why Not. That's why for me, the Church of Why Not is such a very meaningful moment in my life. Oh, wow. Again, that's where we met. And that's where we met. Little did I know that just finding this audition notice on Actors Access, showing up to the audition, to audition right. for a very s- small role in a production would c- completely change my life because I was wow. I was ready to make the transition to becoming a full, almost a full-time actor, but I didn't know that this particular production would have led me to finding my side jobs, like my side job as an, an SP, right. to being able to oh, like- it was from Ari and from Lisanne, another <gasps> friend of ours. Yeah. Yeah. And then I didn't know that. most importantly, meeting you two and still having like this amazing support system 
that had nothing to do with dance. Yeah. So it's crazy wow. where life leads you. Yeah. It's like the world just opened up for you yeah. at the right moment. At the and right you were moment. willing and ready to walk through the door at as, that moment. As soon as I said, okay, I'm done with this, then Because the universe was, supported was, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I yeah. love that. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. I didn't yeah. either. So to your second question, no regrets. There were regrets yeah. before, but now there, there aren't any because it really led me to where my life is now. I love that. Yeah. Me too. That's very moving. <laughs> oh, I also, though, I just hate the, the the thought of you crying alone at that Mexican restaurant. I feel like I want to go back in time and like give Aww. you a hug and be like, it's gonna be okay. Well, I did call Andrew and then I called my parents, so I had someone okay, on the good. other line. But I think okay. I needed to deal with that on my own. But I appreciate yeah. the, <laughs> the desire yeah. to be there with me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. It's really hard for me to think about this question. I think th- I think the toughest decision that I can think of that I've had to face was deciding to come to NYU and deciding to come to New York. My parents did not want me to come. Right. They actually couldn't really afford to send me mm. to NYU because of the way my mom's business works. She could not and would not co-sign loans for me. So I knew that was not an option. Um and it was really hard to know what to do because, on the other hand, I could have gone to a state school that, you know, would have allowed me to live close to home and would have been Way much cheaper. more financially viable. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Right. Like, I would have probably still needed to work and stuff like that, but it would have been a massive right. difference in money. But obviously, the difference in the education that I would have gotten in my particular field was also massive. Mm -hmm. The difference in being an actor in Texas versus New York Mm -hmm. was massive. Mm -hmm. So in the end, I ended up asking my parents to help me with the first year at NYU. And I said, I'll figure it out from there. And it it sucked. I had to take two years off after my first Mm -hmm. year to figure out how I was going to pay for it. I worked some really crappy, really stressful jobs, got myself promoted at some really (laughs) crappy, stressful jobs, (laughs) and I was able to go back for my sophomore year two years later, but then I also had to keep working full-time concurrently Mm. and did end up, you know, getting some help from my parents as well, but it was really rough, and there's, like, a lot in there during that time that I wish had been different. I wish I'd handled the stress with more maturity. I wish I'd handled working jobs that I hated with more grace. I wish I'd mm. been kinder to people. Well, you were so young. Right. I was so young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, all that said, I can't I can't say that I regret it. I think I grew up a lot mm. during that time. And I proved to myself and my family, too, I think, how much I wanted this and how much I was willing to fight for mm. it and work for it and see it through. And I also saw a lot of people go through that program with an easier experience than I had. And at the time, it made me furious that I had to work so much harder than them for the same thing. But then later I realized, you know, I didn't have debt when I – I didn't have much debt when I got out of school. Whereas some people were graduating with a shit ton of debt uh, because their parents had co-signed loans for them. Mm -hmm. I realized that a lot of people weren't ready to take on the reality of being a working actor in the city and – 
how hard that is. And I'd been living that life for years at that point, mm-hmm. working a day job and doing acting on the side, acting school. But still, it's the same life. It's a balancing yeah. act. Yeah. So in some ways, I was way better prepared for what was on the other side of graduation because sure. of what I'd been through. And I knew that I could handle it because I'd already been handling it. And so I knew I knew it was going to cost to live my life the way that I wanted to live it. And I don't just mean monetarily, because as you two know, it's a lot more than just the money (laughs) living this life. And so that experience had already helped me accept and prepare for what that was going to be. So yeah, same as you, Marianne. I can't can't say I regret it. I learned a lot. That is great. And that is so invaluable because no one teaches you how to live in New York as an actor until you're just doing it. Mm-hmm. You have to figure it out. And it's scary. And I'm wondering, yeah. not to compare, <laughs> but if you look back at those who graduated with you or were around the same year as you, I'm curious to know how many of those actors did continue with their career because it is mm. so hard. Yeah. And yeah. once you leave that safety net, not many can really survive what this life yeah, is all about. I mean, it's, and no it's judgment for hard. that. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, of course yeah. not. It's just... It just, it's hard. hard. It's, just it's hard and hard. it's not for everyone. And right. I think a lot of people don't get the opportunity to realize that until after they're done. Exactly. And then they're like, wait, I don't want this is life. Is this what I want? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you're just showing us and, and also telling, I guess, expressing to our listeners how much you've always really wanted this life because you mm-hmm. stopped at nothing to make yeah. this happen for yourself. Yeah, 100%. And look at you now. I know. And just still going in up. In a hot up, ass up, recording a podcast in the middle of summer. With a hey, strawberry no, not just mojito any podcast. Strawberry <laughs> in the middle of the day. Um. <laughs> well, I, I actually ha- was planning on saying something completely different, but... Listening to both of you, so I remembered something that um, oh. that I actually haven't thought about in a little while. That is actually it's so if you compare it to both of your like huge lifetime choices, this is very much not that. Oh, but it's so curious to me that it has stuck with me and affected me the way that it has for being not a huge life choice like it was still meaningful mm, for deciding you. to stop dancing and pursuing like you know going to a college in new york and pursuing that um that i was reminded that in it was just two years ago actually it was very recent uh the month after ricardo and i got married we went to utah mm. and we had gone there for a wedding but then we decided to stay after the wedding and travel to, um, I always want to say Grand Canyon. It's not the Grand Canyon. Uh, Mount Zion. Oh. National Park. And so we stayed there for a few days, just the two of us. And have you, have either of you been? No. Ugh. It's breathtaking. It's beautiful. Oh, wow. And it's full of beautiful hikes and landscape and mountain. And... I had, we had done a little bit of research before we went, and I came across you – know, I discovered that there's a hike there in Mount Zion called Angel's Landing, mm. which is one of the – rated one of the most challenging hikes, I think, in the U.S. 
Oh, wow. And several people, tens of people have died doing this hike. Oh, my God. Because there's a certain point where, uh, you know, I actually can't remember the the drop-off elevation. I want to say it's 2,500 feet, but I actually can't remember. And there's a part where you're climbing, you're scaling this cliff Mm. and you have this like metal, like a chain link fence situation, a chain link to essentially kind of like hold on to as you go up. But there is a certain part where you don't have that chain link anymore to hold on to. So it's just kind of like a free, like you have nothing to hold on to. And just on the other side of you is the drop off. (laughs) Oh, no. Wait, you're not tied to anything. You're not. No you're just free no climbing. Holy shit. And I mean, thousands of people do this hike. Thousands sure, and thousands of people do this. Oh, my God. God. But hikers, you know, people that, that are have experienced. And have yeah. trained for this. Wow. And so we got to Mount Zion. Oh, my God. And I looked at Ricardo and I was like, are we going to try Angel's Landing? And he was like, absolutely not. We're not prepared for that. There's no way. But there was something inside of me that just kept saying, but don't you want to try? Don't you want to try? Like, challenge yourself. Push yourself. Like, how great would it be? You are crazy. To complete this hike and say that I hiked Angel's Landing. And I was terrified of it. But it was so... There was this like contrast between I was terrified of it, but that that's also kind of why I wanted to try it to see if I could do mm-hmm. it. Emma. And Ricardo kept saying, no, 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 no. But as we were, because you can you can hike part of it and that part's easy. And then you have to make the choice if you're going to keep going. Um. And the choice, so you get to like some plateau, which is like a, it's still a challenging hike, but it's fine. And it's it's much safer and then you get to this point and you have to decide if you're going to keep going up so i said can we at least hike to that middle point and we got to that middle point and i started asking people like did you go up how was it for you like i was still trying to test the waters i was still trying to see if it was possible and ricardo kept shaking his head but i kept asking people and i was being so stubborn because i was like i really wonder if i if i could do it and we started do we actually started the second part of the hike which and i was fucking scared but we were doing it and ricardo was like we can start this but if at any point i i call it quits we're quitting and i was like okay and we're going up and i could see how mad he was because he we you know we just also gotten married a month before right and but I was being so fucking stubborn, and there did come a point I could just see on his face he was just really upset, and I knew he was worried. And I had to stop and say, you know, it's not worth it to me to do it just to say that I did it. That you did it. Because now, like, I'm a part of a team in a way that I haven't right. been prior to being married, and, like, mm-hmm. it's not just about me anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how selfish is that for me to do that when the risk is so devastating? Mm-hmm. Right. And so I said, okay, we'll, we'll go back down. Um, hmm. But I think about that actually quite a bit, oddly enough, because I still kind of wonder, I really – 
and and it's the same question that I asked him, you know, do you think how do you know when something is really challenging and you should pursue it anyway? Yeah. Versus letting the fear stop you because I'm I'm trying to eliminate fear as much as I can in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of go up against it, but I think the the thing that kind of did it for me was that the the other possibility past the fear is that you die and that is pretty right. permanent. And so I think that was what made me make the choice that I wasn't going to keep doing it. But you know what I'm hearing here too is that the choice that you ended up making was also that you put yourself aside and you mm, thought of Ricardo right. and his feelings because mm. you now found yourself as part of a team. Mm-hmm. So the difference here is that you were thinking of someone else too, not just your own fear. You were thinking about the repercussions or what could happen to him or the the yeah. aftermath of how he would feel towards you, knowing that he was doing this for you. Exactly. But he was getting he was so doing angry. The same thing for you yeah. that you ended mm-hmm. up doing. Dude, for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I find it so beautiful that you had just gotten married and you were tested in this way and that you really just relied on each other and ultimately you chose him over getting over your fear for this challenge. Mm-hmm. I am curious though. <laughs> Do you ever think about going back by yourself and doing yeah. it? Oh, absolutely not. No, no, I would never go by myself, but okay. because I would be, I, I think I need someone there. Mm. Uh, so maybe by myself with someone else that wasn't Ricardo. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it still is pretty terrifying to me. And I'm and I'm scared of heights. And he kept saying that. He was like, I don't know why you want to do Which this. Is- You're scared of heights. But that's kind of why I wanted to do it. So that is crazy. I still think about it sometimes, you know, yeah. like. Like if I can, if I get more practice hiking and I can be more skilled and I have the proper shoe wear, we didn't have the right shoes even. Oh and it's slippery because oh there's like sand. We were wearing like yeah. tennis shoes. Okay, no. And there's sand. You know, it wasn't okay, the no. right time. No. But sometimes I do think, well, if I had the right shoes and I did feel a little more confident, how fucking great would it be to say I conquered Angel's Landing? Because now for me, that fucking place is always going to be in the back of my head. Like Angel's Landing got right. me. And I hate that. Yeah. But also I'm alive to talk about it. So. Right. And so is your husband. Yeah. And he still has a wife. <laughs> well, sort of going off of death, which you kind of raised <laughs> upon the possibility Perfect of. segue. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There was so much spirituality and myth in these chapters, mm. which you ladies know I mm. eat up with a spoon. Same. I could talk about spirituality and the soul day and night. And I yeah. have yes. with you two. Yes, yes you have. <laughs> so in these chapters, we find out that Talia believes that after her grandmother dies, her soul will leave the body and travel to the kingdom of the dead at the center of the earth and begin a new immortal existence similar to the one we've been living here. And she believes that as soon as her grandmother arrives there, her spirit will have time to visit her family and, of course, Dalia as well. I want to know, what is your death myth? (laughs) Has it been passed down through your family and religion? Is it borrowed from another culture? Or is it something that's more intuitive to you? What happens when we die? And how did you come to believe this? Oh my God, what are these questions today? <laughs> Yowza. I hope you got some drink left. <laughs> Holy the hard moly. Stuff. Fuck. Um, all right. Okay. So, my death myth 
is that our souls will live on. So similarly mm. to what Talia was saying in a way. Yeah. Uh, and we will eventually find each other mm. at the end. And we'll be able to look after those who are left behind. Mm. So you believe similar to her? Very similar. Very And just, um, yes. My mom has always said to me, like, whenever there's a challenge ahead of me or I'm getting on a plane or, um, yeah, something that's very important to me that's about to happen, she always says, que te acompañen los angelitos. Oh. So may these the angels be with you in a way. Yeah. They're going to be looking over you and protecting you. Yeah. So I've always felt like there's someone watching over me. And I think that when my parents pass on and when, um, because I've only lost one family member in my life. Oh my God. And that's wow. right. Like it, when we're talking wow. about immediate and also extended family, I've only lost my grandfather from my dad's side. And I was Damn. 13 years old. The oh, rest wow. of my family, I mean. You got good yeah, genes. Very much so, yeah. I think. And interestingly enough, I attended uh, an acting class that had a meditation element to it before we started. Mm. And we had to go into this day where we were envisioning someone who was looking after us and like what would this person tell us and immediately oh. it was my grandfather like wow. i could vividly see him i could see him just like watching over wow. me like he looked exactly how he did when i was like five years old so i don't know maybe he is right now because he's the only one that i've lost that right now uh -huh. he he's the one that's looming over our family mm -hmm. as a whole right. And just making sure that everything is okay. So I bet that's he is. I, I, bet, I bet he is. I bet he oh. is. Well, ooh, this question. Y'all know how I feel about death. <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. I.e., I'm terrified of it and I've never had a good relationship with it. And I think I've told I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast that when I was you know, I actually don't remember if it was when I was nine or eleven. I can't remember, but either when I was nine or when I was 11, I used to cry at bedtime every night oh, right. to my mom mm -hmm. about what happens when we die. Just this, this terror, just feeling absolutely terrified of, of someone that I loved dying. Mm -hmm. I think particularly my parents at that age. Yeah. And I had experienced a few deaths at that point. So it wasn't completely arbitrary. Um, but every night when I used to have these kind of like tearful panic attacks, my mom would reassure me when you die, you see a white light at the end of a tunnel and it's very peaceful. And at the end of this tunnel with this bright warming white light are all of the loved ones that have passed before you and you're reunited. Mm. And that caused me a lot of comfort. Mm. Oddly enough, not enough for me to still feel comfortable about it now. Sure. I'm, I still really dread it. But I'm reading this book right now that I just started called Many Lives, Many Masters, which, Brandy, oh, if you haven't read it, I haven't. this is right up your alley. <laughs> do, you, do you know who it's by? Brian Weiss. Weiss. Uh -huh. Okay, I'll mm. look it up. 
and I just started it, but this man is a psychoanalyst and he come he meets this patient who is having incredible anxiety, uh just constant turmoil in her life and she just can't calm down. And she was recommended by a doctor of hers to see this man specifically. And what he does is he puts her under hypnosis to try Mm -hmm. to go back to her childhood and like find the root of what this is. Mm -hmm. And while she's under hypnosis, she ends up going way back to like 1800s and then 1700s and to 1600s. And she's describing in vivid detail Mm -hmm. where she is and she's in you know a different country she's in some cases she's a man in some cases she's in egypt and and she has family members with these wild names and so it's the first time that he is brought it's brought to his attention that there is the possibility of reincarnation this woman has had many lives before this one and that what she's going through now comes from those lives from hundreds of years ago and that's fascinating to me yeah and so i can't wait to keep digging into that and and figure out how i feel about reincarnation and the three of us have talked about that before we have yeah and it makes me really curious about my previous lives and then where do i go when this life is over Mm -hmm. what's my next one and what will i take from this life with me there it gives me a little bit of peace the most important thing to me is that I just want to be reunited with my loved ones. Mm. That to me, I think, is where most of my fear comes from. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. But I do, similarly to what you're saying, Mariana, I think, and I really do strongly believe that when you die, your energy still stays. And that also brings me some comfort. Isn't that also a scientific concept? Energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Mm-hmm. So it has to go somewhere. somewhere. It has That's to be true. somewhere. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. 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 <sighs> I hadn't really thought about how I was going to answer this question. But off of what you're saying, Emma, as you both know, right before the pandemic hit, well, no, actually, right after the pandemic hit, I had a reading with a spiritualist mm-hmm. who believes everything that you're saying. It's yeah. not that man, but everything he talks about is that he's a man named Ainsley McLeod, who I first encountered mm-hmm. via an Oprah podcast, yes. which if you haven't listened to, it's amazing. But I had a reading with him and he actually was able to tell me about some of my past lives and some of the things that he told me were hugely relevant to issues that I have in my current life. And it's kind of wild how once he pinpointed those things to me, it was almost like I could release them. It was almost like they just, (sighs) like once I had identified the cause and the source, it was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I don't need to hang on to that anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in that vein, I am a huge believer in the idea of reincarnation and the soul cycling through and through and through to learn more and more. And I have to say, I do also think that souls also circle each other. So when you two are saying, like, I hope I'm reunited with my loved ones, I think in life, like in in life, we're constantly being reunited with souls we've known in past lives. Like when I think about meeting Jason, mm-hmm. Jason felt like somebody who I had already known for years Mm -hmm. when I met him. Mm -hmm. There are things that he had in his mind that I've had in my mind that when we 
finally like said those things to each other. It, it's stuff that's impossible for two strangers to have known. Do you know what I mean? Just to have strange that connection. connections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he's someone who's very scientifically minded. But when I said that to him, he was like, that makes a lot of the idea of souls circling each other. That makes a lot of sense, actually, mm. because I think we've all had those moments where we meet somebody who just connects. Mm. Interestingly, too, my mom once took my younger sister Chardonnay to um, a biofeedback session, mm. What's which that? I won't go into too much, but it's basically a reading in which... Uh, you're sort of connected to a machine and this therapist asks your body essentially questions about what it likes and what it doesn't like, usually related to like food, things that you're putting into your body. And then she can tell you your body likes this. It doesn't like this. It responds to this. It doesn't respond to this, that kind of thing. But in that reading, she told my mom, she said, you know, I don't ever say this to people because some people don't respond well to it. But this does turn up in reading sometimes. But she says, you know, your daughter has three angels that look over her and follow her. And I thought that was really beautiful. And the only and my mom does say that about my sister. She's like, you know, Chardonnay has just she's blessed. She had there have been touch points in her life where like it's just clear something is looking out for her her. Mm. yeah um and yeah I could only think those must be like old family souls that Mm. have like graduated out of the reincarnation system or something and are like now just watching over us like waiting for us to graduate too and come join there's no easy segue right now with <laughs> but I think we should just run a roll out all the questions I I might as well just bang out my question Okay, it's quite ironic, getting back to the book, it's quite ironic that Mauro ends up helping Perla during her last years of life. Yeah. Especially since Perla did not initially approve of him and Mm -hmm. didn't even want him to enter her home when he arrived back in Colombia. This actually made me start thinking of how often ironies occur in our lives. Sometimes individuals we think we won't end up being close to or living with are the ones we end up doing just that with. More specifically, we are so eager and quick to leave home, as you did, Brandy, as we all did when when we were young, to then find ourselves taking care of our parents when they are older and possibly having them live with us or migrate close to us. Right. And this does actually tend to happen more often than not in Latin families. Hmm. Another two-parter, because why the hell not? (laughs) Is there an irony that has occurred in your lives that you would like to share with us? And have you ladies given much thought to whether or not your parents will end up living with you or close to you once they get older? Yes. And weirdly, I was just home. So I remembered this while I was home, actually. Uh, When I was a kid, I remember my dad used to say about me that when I left home, that I was going to go far away and that I would never come back. And I remember that infuriating me and like hurting me so much that that he thought he could see that in me, that I could just abandon them. (laughs) And it it really hit me this last time that I was home that, like, I have left Mm -hmm. and I have never come back and I don't plan to ever come back. Mm -hmm. And so that, I don't know, that kind of hurt me. 
And I was holding my cousin Crystal's baby at one point at one of our family gatherings. She has this beautiful three-month-old little baby. And one of my uncles kept saying to me that it was like time for me to, you know, make my mom a grandma and all that stuff. And for the first time, I really felt a little bit sad that like, I know that I can't be that person. It would be wonderful to be home with my family and have dinners and be at those gatherings together all the time. And have more kids, you know, that kind of bind us all together even closer. It, like, definitely hurts not to have parts of that. But I can acknowledge now that I would just have to be a completely different person Mm. to live that. Mm -hmm. And somehow my dad knew that about me at a really young age, like, even before I knew it, Mm -hmm. which is, it's still, like, just a little bit devastating. I don't know what he saw but he saw it and he, he saw knew it in it you immediately. Yeah. As far as my parents getting older, there has never been a sliver of doubt in my mind that I'm going to take care of my parents when they get old and they need me. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I mentioned it to Jason soon after we had the like I don't want kids conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I had the like just so you know my parents will live with me when they're old conversation, that was just something that I never wanted to be in question. That they would come live with you or that you would live with them? That they would be with me one way or another. Okay. I just, I knew that it would be a deal breaker for me to be with somebody who was not okay with that situation. And Mm -hmm. so I remember bringing it up. Like to me, it was as important as the, I don't want to have kids conversation. It was like, just so you know, these are my requirements. (laughs) Right. So if we're going to do this, this is what you're signing yeah, up for. Yeah, I don't for. leave New York. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. And he was so he was so awesome about it and he loves my parents. Um but yeah, that's just that's uh, to me that's just the deal mm-hmm. and I think that's also probably because I'm the oldest mm-hmm. is just like that's what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching my mom go through that right now. She's she and my dad are both preparing themselves and preparing their lives for the fact that my mom's mom is pretty soon going to, you know, need to come live with them. And they're making adjustments and planning and figuring out, you know, housing and how they're going to do it and all this stuff. But yeah, the same for my mom. Like, it's just never been a question. Mm -hmm. She knows she's going to take care of her parents. It's just when is that going to be? Mm -hmm. Well, I actually had a difficult time thinking of an irony, which is so funny because I know there's so many. (laughs) (laughs) but most recently the one that came to mind is i just think it's so ironic that it took a pandemic for me to leave my restaurant job Mm -hmm. which was something that i've been talking about doing for years but never really had the guts to do because that's how i was supporting myself in the city like paying my bills and my rent but that in doing so i've worked more than ever in a global pandemic yeah. Mm. Like, it's so ironic. It's just so funny how it just how all of that conspired, how all of that worked together is is mind blowing. And yeah. and I I was journaling the other day. I ran out of space in my old journal. So I, <laughs> I picked another journal that had pages without realizing that that journal that I was journaling in was what I was using when I was doing the artist way, which I did at the very beginning of quarantine in 2020. Oh, wow. And so I went back and I was just like leafing through those pages and like reading about some of the stuff I was writing that I had completely forgot I put in there. You know, like I want to teach yoga. (gasps) 
And then I did my teacher training, completely forgetting I had put that in there. I talked about wanting to support myself for my acting. And so I don't know that that's irony, but having just come across that yesterday, I was like, oh, isn't that interesting? Like, Yeah. And all in a time of such confusion and turmoil and right and it also it all stems from like even your question about choices it's once you finally made the choice of leaving mm, your job is when right. all of this started to evolve once the choice was made for you mm-hmm. in a way right mm-hmm. also that yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and the other instance that i thought was super ironic was that you know i lived in new york for hmm i think 8 or 9 years I think eight years as a non-equity actor, just pounding the pavement. Yeah. And it took me booking a job back in my hometown in <laughs> Richmond, Virginia to get to my get equity card. I had to go back where I started. Now that's ironic. That's funny. To get it. And I always thought, God, that's fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah, so that's pretty ironic. Yeah. And yeah, to answer the second part of your question... I don't think my parents are ever going to leave Richmond. So I think the question is, what's not a question? Because like you said, that's a given for me too. If my parents, when, if and when my parents need help in their older years, I'll go to wherever they are. Mm. So if that means me uprooting myself here and going back to Richmond, which I guess it will mean that, that's a no-brainer. Like that's... yeah. That's a uh, a given that that will happen. I'm going to plug this in here because I'm going to talk about my mom during this. Uh, we have a special guest coming on our podcast. Yeah. For the oh, fourth. are we doing this now? I guess we're going to do this now because we okay. might as well. <laughs> yeah. So for the fourth episode of this book, we will have my mom. Yeah. Ana Maria. Correa Cárdenas coming on to the podcast so she can share her stories of migrating to this country and the associations that have come up while listening to this brilliant novel. So I'm very excited for that. Yeah, we are too. Super (laughs) excited because she's a soon-to-be grandmother. So it's it's great. A perla. Uh, Lots of connections. Yes. So I'll leave it up to her to... uh, Tell us about her epic love story of how she met my dad and all of that stuff. But I do want to mention why I mentioned my dad is because my grandmother from my dad's side ended up living with my mom and my mm. dad twice. And it's not like they they had a very cordially loving relationship. Like I'm going to put it that way. <laughs> but they're very <laughs> they're very different women. Even though they're both yeah. Colombian from very different upbringings, mm-hmm. yeah, and there's also like the 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 societal element where Colombians from Medellin are very different than Colombians from Bogota. Oh, Mom is from Medellin, dad's from Bogota. So there's a there's a lot. Wait, you know? your dad is from Bogota? Yeah, and I'm from Bogota. Wait, you didn't say that last week. That's so awesome. Yeah, I didn't know that. I was born Did in the capital. I feel like she said that before at oh, some shit. point. Yeah, Wait, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was born, yeah, I was born in Bogota. So the irony of the situation is that my mom never expected 
to be living with my or my oh. grandmother living with them. But my grandfather passed when my grandmother was still very young and they needed to kind of figure out like what she was going to do because she was very dependent mm. of my grandmother, oh. of my grandfather. So she ended up living about six years. Uh, I was already here in New York, about six years with my parents. And also the irony of the situation is that even though my dad has four other siblings, two of which are women and two other brothers, my mom was ended up being the one to find my grandmother a community center where she Aww. could kind of flourish and actually Aww. become the woman that she always wanted to become independently. Aww. Where she would exercise like crazy, like go to dances, like do all the activities that were offered and just be living a life that she always wanted to live that she once lived in Colombia. But being in the States, it was quite different. So it's interesting how things happen. You never know where you're going to end up. So you can never say never. Mm, Right. And then as far as my parents are concerned, because my parents are now becoming grandparents, there's been a lot of talk about this of like what mm-hmm. what's going to happen now. My mom is thrilled beyond belief to be here with us yeah. during the process before I actually get birth. Yeah, because she kind of wants. I'm as an only child. She wants to be a part of every single moment that this of is course. because this might yeah. be also her only grandchild. So there's no doubt in my mind that they'll end up being either living with us or close to us. Mm-hmm. I think for them, they've always wanted, they've never wanted to be a burden and they've kind of planned their life right. in that way. Once they retire, like they would try to, if it ends up being some sort of like assisted living facility or something like that, or a community that's like for the elderly, they would try that. But before that, they would want to live close to us or maybe even live with us. I don't even know if I would want them to live outside of our home. I know. If that were the case, from my perspective, but from their perspective, they never want to cause, which it would never be a burden, but they see it as a burden. I know, right? I know. So it's kind of, it's all in the air right now, but it's becoming a lot more realistic, even though they're such young parents that they were really planning for the future because they would want to be close to their grandchild as they well. They want to be close to their grandbaby. Yeah. So they would move to New York? That's the thing. My dad has never liked New York. Right. <laughs> he doesn't like the cold weather. I mean, it's a huge jump he, from Florida. From Florida. Yeah, from Miami yeah. in particular. Yeah. I will say the cold weather sucks a lot less when you don't have to go to a job in it. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> that's if he's true. retired or something, that's, cold weather can be fun. That's the thing. It's going to be several years before he retires if he ever does do so because he is such yeah. a workaholic like your dad, yeah. Brandy. You know, he like, likes to be active and... Yeah. Yeah. And part of his job is always traveling outside to the Caribbean and to like really amazing places. So I don't know if he he's at all ready to do that. You can still travel from New York. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We'll find a way. But yeah, I would never want them to end up alone. God forbid. You know, it's not not something I would want to do. Yeah. You hear that, parents? We are staying with you. All the way. Don't get any ideas about doing it soon, though. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> totally kidding. <laughs> I kind of want to jump, if that's okay, to the very end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Per usual, I don't remember the circumstances of this, but I did take note because I thought this was really interesting that the story that we're given at the end of these chapters of the 
that the story of the cacique, which mm-hmm. I ha- I googled, is a king or prince of an indigenous group, the daughter and the serpent. Oh, yes. oh right. That the cacique, I think, in the story is Mauro, and the daughter is Talia. Just another way of like coming full circle with these histories and these myths. Like they do replay yeah. themselves mm-hmm. today, and that history repeats, repeats itself. itself. Yes, I just thought Big that time. was a cool a cool way to kind of like tie that all in. Yeah, I think that's a really I think that's a really good point. I also found it really interesting in these chapters the divide between this very deep spirituality and mythology that's being associated mm. with Colombian culture in this book versus the, the the myth of American exceptionalism and the American dream that Elena is sort of like seeing crumble before her eyes Mm -hmm. as she's trying to attain it. Like as she's fighting for it, she's realizing this is a myth. This isn't real. Both places come with so much violence. There's been the mention of the horrific death of of Omira Sanchez, the kidnapping of Ingrid Betancourt. And there's been mention made of America's rampant problem with shootings. And then, of course, the vicious truth that she can't report her own rape for fear of deportation. Mm -hmm. And it just got me to thinking how quick we are to discount stories of myth or stories of spirituality and that kind of stuff. And yet in a lot of ways, we are we live a myth. We live this myth every day in this country of feeling safe and of, you know, feeling like we are an exceptional country. Um, so I just thought that was a really interesting point being made in these chapters oh, this week. I agree with you. And and also to, to tag on to that, the idea that America is so much better than these other countries were in fact, like if you really think about what has happened within the past four years, within the past year, yeah. it it isn't. Like with the pandemic, right. I think the it's we've learned that the difference between the socioeconomic, um, the socioeconomic like balance in this country is way way off. Like the one percent, it's 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 yeah. ridiculous. Especially when you look at who's considered essential and who's not, not and yet who's got money and who do- it's like a that imbalance was nuts. To yes. find. And so the the pandemic has really opened, I mean, I hope has opened the eyes to so many to realize like what actually is really happening in this country. And to say that we're the land of opportunities, but to who? Because these opportunities are made, are geared towards a specific group. And I think the same can be said for the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, for some of us, we feel very safe when we see a police officer. And we've very quickly learned in the last four years that Mm. not everybody has that privilege. Mm. Not everybody feels safe walking down the street. No. And also, there's mention in these chapters of the the school shootings that have happened. Mm -hmm. Like, don't even get me started. And I quote from the book, a nation at war with itself, yet people still spoke of it as some kind of paradise. Like, that's where we are. Mm -hmm. Right. It made me deeply curious what is going to happen when Talia finally makes it here because she does have still this vision of it as this paradise where her mom is here her siblings that she's never met in person are here opportunity is here this is the place where she was born it's kind of her birthright and I did find myself wondering 
is she going to come here and be disappointed mm. and yet not be able and then to return can't go to back. her back? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because she's committed a quote unquote crime that's going to keep her. And, and horribly, also, the person she's closest to, her father, has to stay in Colombia now. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he's not allowed in the States. Mm-hmm. It's just, ugh. I also, with you saying that, I just thought of the parallels of what Dalia has been confronted with because twice now she's almost been assaulted sexually. Yeah. Once Mm. and maybe twice with Andres, there was a little bit of like, I don't know where this is going. Yes. Yeah. And then her mom, Elena, was actually raped in the States of the the land that where she wants to come to, where she thinks everything is going to be rainbows and butterflies. And who right. knows if she will ever found, find out about what Elena has actually been through. But just the right. thought of it, that both of them have had to experience similar awful situations. Yeah. Well, ladies, to lighten this up a little bit, I have a final question for you two. Oh, yep. we made it. <laughs> so we always think of ghosts and the supernatural as scary or haunting. But I want to know. If you came back to haunt the living as a mischievous prankster ghost, what would your go-to move be? Oh, I love this. I love this. That's fun. That's fun. Well, did either of you see the movie Ghost with Patrick Swayze? Yes. Well, he learns. Oh, Emma. Damn it, Emma. I know. I know. I know. I know the famous pottery scene. Oh, my God. Well, but I'm not going to reference that. I'm going to reference when Patrick Swayze learns from another ghost that he ends up encountering on the subway, how he could, like, leap between subway uh, cart to subway cart, and he could actually Ah. move inanimate objects. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would love... To be able to like move things or like go like go through space and then like freak the people out. Like just uh-huh. like, be able to move these inanimate objects in every which way and just be like, boo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's mine. I would really love to tickle people for several <gasps> seconds so that oh they break out God. in like uncontrollable laughter because how can that not spread joy to everyone? Like if <laughs> oh, people are I just laughing. Hate, I would hate that too. I know, but well, think of how many people it would you. make smile. <sighs> well, it would certainly make other people laugh. That's it's what like I mean. If, if I'm laughing hysterically and people don't understand why. Yeah, it'd be so entertaining. I think I would turn on, like, porn at really <laughs> awkward times for people. Like, like they would open their computer for the business meeting and it would be porn or something. Oh, like, I think I would just delight in that in that embarrassment so much. <laughs> Not Shout like in a big up. business meeting. Not like where they would lose their job. But, you know, <laughs> that would be silly, hilarious. In a silly way. So Brandy wants to embarrass people. Mariana <laughs> wants to spook people. And I want people to laugh. <laughs> like, yeah, we it. have very that's different agendas. Yeah. yeah, that's that's it. All right, y'all. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you have an insight or a question you'd love to ask us, we'd love to answer. Shoot us an email at arethesebooksdrunk at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on our listener question segment. Yes. And also, please let us know what you like or don't like. Simply just leave us a DM. Or better yet, what about that review? Hey, leave us a review. Where are them reviews? Those reviews. Just go 
over to Apple Podcasts and let others know how much you love us because I know you do. We know you do. And a special thank you to Ritual because I've really enjoyed this mocktail today. Yay! Yay! If mommy's happy, we're happy. There you go. That's right. Keep mama happy. Next week, we'll be reading to the end of chapter 24. Wow. Stay tuned on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk to find out next week's cocktail and mocktail pairing so that you can read along and (laughs) sip along with us. Because it's always happy hour here. Even if you're pregnant. Yeah. I'm having a ball. Woo. Chachi. Bye.